0: Hey there, lovely friends. Thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the Holy Shed, the littlest parish in Christendom. And oh my goodness, what a week it has been, a sad and historic week in which we have said goodbye or were, I I think for me, still struggling to come to terms with the idea of saying goodbye to the Queen who, whatever you think about her, has been such a massive part of the furniture of our lives for all of our lives in most instances and also when we've heard i i don't in my conscious memory never remember hearing god save the king being sung and all of this is going on and will be going on for the next 10 days or so i guess but you know what i'm not going to say a lot more About all of that here in the shed. I made my little tribute to the Queen on Facebook, which I felt moved to do. And um, I think really I'm just going to leave it there for now uh, because I don't think that you've come to the Holy Shed to find more of what you can find oodles and oodles and oodles of all over the media. One thing that I would like to mention uh, is that today is the anniversary of 9 11, which probably goes by fairly much unnoticed with everything else that's going on. Uh, it's an event, actually, that, as far as I can tell, pretty much broke the Queen's heart, really. She abandoned history and tradition uh, so that the American National Anthem could be played at the changing of the Guard on the 13th of September, 2001. I mean, what a massive thing that was to, to do. But, you know, there's so much pain in the world right now, isn't there? So much pain from past events like 9-11 and its consequences so we're going to just begin by taking a brief moment to light a candle and pause to think about uh you know pray about whatever it is that is on your mind or heart right now so join me would you for a moment So last week I highlighted the Holy Shed's new strapline, progressive faith for a better world. And I said that I wanted to talk about what progressive faith means to me at least anyway. Uh, So that's what we're going to do. It's what we're gonna continue to do today and maybe uh, in different ways over the next few sessions. Hey, maybe Christmas before we finish for all I know. Now, some people definitely think I've thought for years that i'm some kind of woolly liberal you know that i've backslidden or stopped loving jesus someone commented on youtube this week you can find it it's still there someone made the comment old man you're on the wrong path well as you can imagine it wasn't the wrong path bit that really bothered me i mean i've heard that for donkeys it was the old man part old man That's how to really get my goat. Anyway, (laughs) although my wife says, hey, chill out, Dave. You are an old man. But anyway, I replied to that person that the only path Jesus said showed, demonstrated that we are his followers is the path of love. So that's what I'll try to try to stick with, though. It certainly ain't always easy, and especially if you call me old man. But that, I think, is such a central thing that, you know, somehow or other gets lost amid all the other things that are supposed to be required of us in order to be disciples of Jesus. But here's the thing. For me, progressive faith isn't about going all woolly or playing fast and loose with the truth or, you know, whatever other things people may accuse people like me of. Progressive faith for me, is how I try to stay faithful to the gospel in the world I live in, how I remain faithful to Jesus and what he taught. Um, Speaking of which, being progressive hasn't in any way diminished my love for Jesus. I think I'm as committed a Jesus freak as you're going to find. I've also been accused of undermining people's faith. But what I have actually been up to for 30 years and more is trying to help people hang on to faith, trying to help them to continue believing when things start to unravel. I like to see myself, ironically, as an evangelist, a bearer of good news, a passionate advocate of a living, credible faith. So anyway, in the next few weeks, we will try to describe progressive faith as I see it anyway. But what I want to do first uh, today is try to identify some of what lies behind or beneath progressive faith. Where's it coming from? I said last time that to start off with, faith, in my view, must always be progressive. Isn't that the nature of faith? Faith must never stand still, never be harking back to... Some golden age that we're supposed to preserve or try to recover. I think that faith is about moving forward, courageously adapting to new circumstances, um, absorbing fresh insights from the situation that we're in, respecting the past, of course, but recognizing the limitations of the past and ever open to a process of change and evolution. It's the spirit of the gospel that I want to remain faithful to. Not its ancient context, not some, you know, preserved deep frozen truth from the past, but the spirit of the gospel, which is gonna be constantly uh, reincarnated, reborn, reinterpreted uh, each year, each decade, each day. But there's more to it than this, I think. Progressive faith, as I see it, it, is, influenced specifically by changes of outlook and attitude in the late 20th century and on into the 21st century, uh, when Western culture uh, has become suspicious of many of its old certainties. I I tend not to reread my own books, you know, once they're published, probably (laughs) pretty sure actually, for fear that I won't like them or feel cringed by them or, you know, uh, not agree with them anymore. or wish that I'd said it another way. But last week, I dusted off uh, a copy of my first book, The Post-Evangelical, which um, I think is just here somewhere. This is the very copy that I brushed off. And uh, do you know, astoundingly, this book rattled off the press for the first time nearly 30 years ago. And when I started reading it, to my surprise, I discovered I quite liked it, uh, actually. And I realised that while it was written for a specific audience, people that I dubbed post-evangelical, people on a particular faith journey, it isn't actually a bad introduction to progressive faith in general, not least because it acknowledges, as I say, that progressive attitudes toward faith are linked to changing attitudes and values in wider society, the wider society of which we're all a part and we cannot um, separate ourselves from. What I recognized, you know, back in the early 1990s when I was thinking about and writing this book, was that many of the people that I witnessed abandoning church going and even abandoning Christianity itself were doing so because of a disconnect between their day-to-day life and the, the world they lived in and the attitudes that they'd become accustomed to there and this rigid, unyielding approach to faith that they experienced in church every Sunday. The world was changing all the time in ways that they understood and in many ways sympathized with. Meanwhile, the church was just standing stoically still. The Cambridge theologian Nicholas Lash Uh, God rest his soul, he's no longer with us, only died a year or so, actually, but he put his finger on it, I think, when he said that the confusion and uncertainty, which many people experience today, is perhaps less obviously an expression of a crisis of faith than a crisis of culture. We're not sure, he wrote, how to go about the business of connecting our Christianity with other aspects of our life and experience. It's what happens, you know, when a paradigm begins to break down. A paradigm, it's a popular phrase, what does it mean? A paradigm is, is like a cluster collection of beliefs, ideas, attitudes, assumptions, and values that are the glue that hold together a worldview or anything else, in our case, which hold together a form of faith. So faith is essentially operates within a paradigm, within uh, this set of uh, you know beliefs and ideas and attitudes and assumptions and values and so on and so forth. While the paradigm is you know holding together, while it makes sense and people subscribe to it, everything remains secure. But when anomalies begin to arise, within the paradigm, things that great or that feel inconsistent or stop making sense anymore, then doubts start to arise. And when there are too many anomalies, too many doubts or things that you just can't accept or believe in, that's when the paradigm starts to fall apart. And you're left wondering uh, whether to abandon faith altogether, or find a different approach, assuming that you think you can. And that's when a paradigm shift might occur. And um, and that's how I see or understand progressive faith. It's a paradigm shift. You know, my book, The Post-Evangelical, was intended to help folk on that particular journey out of evangelicalism to traverse that paradigm shift. Um, it's a pastoral book to say, look, If your faith is unraveling, if stuff you've learned and become accustomed to just no longer makes sense, please don't give up altogether. There are other pathways, other theologies, other traditions to draw on. Uh, A different paradigm of faith is emerging, which you may well find will enable you to continue the faith journey. That's what I wrote that book for, and it's really what I've written most things for ever since. So that's what we're talking about, guys. Progressive faith is a different paradigm based on different assumptions, maybe different values and priorities, which have different conclusions. So they're just two different things. And it's no wonder that, you know, we find there's problems in trying to kind of cause the two to interact with each other, Take the whole business of epistemology, (laughs) take what I hear you say? Epistemology. Epistemology is the theory of knowledge. You know how we know what we know. Well, for many conservative Christians, knowledge of God and everything else that really matters in the world focuses on the Bible read in a quite literal fashion. The Bible says it and it's so. Progressive faith, my progressive faith at least, Uh, in no way rejects the Bible, you know, the Bible remains a a central feature of the Christian faith for me. Uh, I study it all the time. I love wrestling with it. um, And I preach from it very regularly still. But I recognise that it's an ancient text that is problematic to read in today's world. It needs to be read with a questioning mind a receptive mind yes an open mind yes but also a critical mind because it requires interpreting and you know what every single reading of the bible is an interpretation i know that you know many conservative christians will deny that out of hand and say no no i just read the bible i just believe it you know you have all your interpretations no 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 every reading is an interpretation, even a conservative reading, because no one can read the Bible without bringing to it certain presuppositions, certain assumptions, maybe even prejudices. A conservative approach to faith tends to insist that truth is only truth when it's literal fact. Ironically, actually, that's exactly what most atheists say too. Um, They say that, you know, truth can only be truth if it's literal fact. But sadly, Uh, This insistence is precisely why so many people have walked away from the church or from faith itself, because living and thinking honestly in the 21st century, you know, they just can't accept a literal version of Christianity. There are just too many anomalies in that paradigm, too many things that just don't add up in today's world. The paradigm is a goner. And, you know, after being told by a Christian at work uh, that the Bible condemns same-sex relationships as unnatural and as an abomination, uh, a dear lesbian friend of ours told me, Dave, how can I have anything to do with a religion that says that my marriage is an abomination? You know, she said, we've lived together, we've loved each other, uh, as much as anybody, as much as any couple can for 19 years. We've brought up two gorgeous kids. What sort of screwed up book says that that is unnatural? That's what she said. The postmodern paradigm that influenced the emergence of progressive faith has got a much more open, playful, poetic understanding of truth. I mean, we've thought about this before, in the Holy Shed when I contrasted what I called day language with night language. Now, you see, day language is not playful. Uh, It's important. It's important in all of our lives. It's the natural language of science and history and an awful lot of everyday dealings, you know, where bald fact and literal information are precisely what are needed. But this is not the only sort of truth in the world. Uh, Night language may also speak truth, but this is more like the language of poetry, the language of art and metaphor and symbol, which often uh, is in the business of dealing with ambiguities, um, which senses things at a more truth at a more intuitive level. But it is also truth telling. I have got shelves over here of poetry books. I've got novels. I've got all kinds of things um, which I think may not have an enormous amount of daytime language in them that's not what they're about but they're packed with truth because truth isn't just about facts um, the bible in fact is packed with night language which was never intended to be let, read literally and I think actually in ancient times people understood that much better perhaps than lots of us understand it today. The first 11 chapters of Genesis are basically pure night language. You know, narratives like the creation stories and the Garden of Eden, Cain and Abel, Noah and the Great Flood, the Tower of Babel, these are all glorious night language stories. Look, there never was a Methuselah who literally lived to 969. So you don't have to try and, you know, stand on your head to believe that. It, it, it's not really a literal fact. Of course not. I mean, don't be daft. But none of this is to say that the Genesis stories are false or lies or untrue. Uh, they are truthful in my view, but they're truthful in a different sense. They're archetypal. Not true, but always true, you know, didn't happen. What always happen. That's the nature of archetypal uh, stories and truths. The postmodernist paradigm, which, as I say, influenced the emergence of progressive approaches to faith, also places value on personal knowing, truth in experience, from experience. Criticising the notion of objective truth, The postmodernist writer Richard Rorty said that objectivity is just a matter of agreement of everyone in the room. It's worth thinking about that. Richard Rorty said object objectivity is just a matter of agreement of everyone in the room. That's a deeply postmodern statement. Um, but you know, the thing about it is the problem is that only certain types of people have been allowed in the room, you know, who have historically been, for the most part, white, middle-class males. Um, But what about all those other people who were excluded, um, whose truth wasn't acknowledged or examined uh, or received within a room in which their voice basically just wasn't heard? So post-modernity is an era that has exploded the room. You know, the walls have gone in recent decades. The voices of all kinds of minorities or marginalized communities have begun to find a voice and hearing them, you know, can be pretty damned uncomfortable, actually. Back in the 1990s, around about when the Post-Evangelical came out, uh, I listened to a man, I listened to the experience of uh, a then 80 year old gay man an evangelical Christian, by the way, and had been all his life. And I listened to his experience, who prior to the Sexual Offences Act in 1969, uh, he had been forcibly administered over 100 doses of electric shock aversion therapy, which I view as nothing less than the hammer house. horrors and here was this extraordinarily sweet man whose faith was infinitely more simply evangelical than mine you know and we sat in a room in which he played hymns and choruses on the piano and it broke my heart you know his voice his truth as a lovely christian man who happened to be attracted to other men like so many others his voice was unheard he was cancelled put in a room to receive electric shock treatment and be forcibly shown pictures of naked women to try to convert him oh my god but there i was you know in 1996 listening to his very uncomfortable story um and it being told in front of an audience of people um and It's a story, it's a voice which was cancelled in the name of God and scripture by his church, and that was a story that we were hearing about. Did you know that the rape of uh, that rape in a marriage only became illegal in 1991? I I really couldn't believe that. I've been reading an incredible book by Helen Lewis called Difficult Women. It's her particular, you know, really interesting history of feminism. And and that's one of the shocking things that that she, she brings out. There's so many things where I was just gasping. And, um, you know, I was once told by a beautiful Christian woman that she was instructed from the Bible by her church leaders that she must remain in a marriage in which she was sexually and physically brutalized. And they assured her that it would be sin for her to leave this man for the man who wanted to love and cherish her. Progressive faith is a paradigm shift. And yes, it's influenced by aspects of the wider paradigm shift from modernity to postmodernity, which adopts a much more relative approach to truth, which says that truth hinges in part on who's telling the story. Who holds the power? Whose vested interests are being served? Who's allowed in the room? But you see, faith's always been influenced by culture. You know, the biblical narrative didn't occur in a cultural vacuum. You know, there were taken for granted social structures that privileged some and excluded others. It's there all through the Bible. Life at the time was, for example, inextricably patriarchal. Slavery was the norm. Same-sex relationships existed overwhelmingly in a context of abuse and power. Poverty and crippling class systems filled the social landscape of the Bible. And look, the early church itself was deeply influenced by cultural Gnosticism uh, and by Greek dualism. Christianity may have become the dominant force in the Roman Empire in the fourth century, thanks to Constantine needing to prop up his empire. But the conversion of Rome also led to a different conversion, which was the reshaping of Christianity, uh, a legacy of which still lives with us today, sadly. As I see it, progressive faith is, as I say, a paradigm shift. It's a paradigm shift that enables many of us to continue journeying with faith. It's a lifesaver for me, for many others. It's not about the reinvention of Christianity. It's the recognition that tradition is not a fixed entity to be passed down Unchanged from generation to to generation, tradition is a living, breathing, evolving community engaged in a vibrant, courageous, imaginative conversation, Uh, a conversation within itself, but also a conversation with the wider culture where I may say God's creative spirit is present and active also. And I sometimes honestly guys think more active and present out there in the wider culture than within the church so that's it for now i hope that this eases your paradigm jip and uh, next week we'll continue and from here on i want us to think in more specific ways about the nature of progressive faith what does it look like in practice and what are some of the kind of argues and issue issues that surround it meantime i'd like to leave you with Uh, An email that I received from a dear friend, actually my oldest uh, friend that I'm still in touch with, John, who wrote to me this week. uh, And, uh, you know, he said, thank you for the latest holy shed. He said last Wednesday, a conservative friend of 40 years asked me to share thoughts on my progressive journey and at the end told me that I was going to burn in hell forever. This was the first, he says. And the reason for this is I had made the wrong choice in not taking the Bible as the inerrant word of God and not taking Genesis 1 to 5 literally. Other things, he said, uh, came out in the conversation that were very hurtful. And I'm wondering if any other Shedsters have experienced this. And if so, what are your comments would be? So um, it's just amazing, isn't it, that these conversations still go on in this day and age, Uh, but there it is. And what that is all about in that little email is a clash of paradigms. And uh, so John's asking the question, is that something, the sort of thing that you've experienced? Um, He'd he'd like to know whether he's all on his own. So um, do get in touch with me, message me in the usual ways and tell me of any experiences that you've had. And then I will come back and respond to John's question of, You know what, my comments would be on that kind of thing. Okay, so let us have a prayer. Storytelling God, spinning the great yarn of the cosmos, we thank you for weaving our tiny threads into the drama of creation alongside prophets and wise ones, musicians and artists, elephants, kittens, bonobos and weeping willows thank you for mysteries in life that none can decipher for a never-ending adventure of reading between lines of wondering what would have happened if today we celebrate the gift of imagination the addiction to curiosity the urge to ask why the sense of disquiet or outrage when plot lines grate when justice is muscled out by those who willfully insist on writing other people's lines. We raise a glass to holy indignation, to freedom of speech, the inspiration to dream and hope and devise better stories for ourselves and our world, to life, the high. Well, that's that's not a bad invitation, is it really? Uh, I'll tell you, I'll go back to this picture for now. Uh, That's not a bad invitation. So if you want, you can join me in a drink and a toast. Got a weed ram here. So, guys, this is a toast to the story of faith that never never stops growing or evolving, uh, that never becomes fixed and stagnant. A toast to new ideas, liberating ideas, new horizons, new revelations. A toast to the courage which keeps on exploring, never settles down, never says arrived. To life, Lachaim,
1: marveloso.
0: Okay, so we'll have it up now. you like the holy shed you like what i'm doing here you can support us you can buy us a coffee by going to this uh coffee website the links on on the screen there that drink's having an effect on me already um the link is also always at the top of the posts on the holy shed facebook page and i think it's usually on the youtube page as well so Dear lovely friends, thank you for being part of all of this. Thank you for supporting us by buying us coffees and um, in the many other ways that you do that too. It is really appreciated. Okay, so just to tell you that this week on Thursday, I am leading a soul space, Zoomed soul space, uh, courtesy of our friends in Croydon. And the theme this Thursday is collage building a life um, it's a wonderful hour or so just under of you know music videos stories of people online uh poetry um incredibly wise thoughts from me <laughs> only joking and um i'd love you to join us and if you don't want to appear on screen on the on the you know zoom you don't have to do that you can just you know have your blank picture up or whatever uh, be great to have you seven o'clock on thursday i will post the link i'm sure peter will post one too. peter from croydon and it'd be great to have you join us fantastic so here is a blessing god help me to be charitable toward those who hold different views to me seeking a common humanity god help me to be true to my convictions regardless of their popularity or disapproval, yet always open to change my mind. God help me to learn that being kind and loving is the highest expression of faith in any tradition, that actions always speak louder than words. Amen. And there we are. Um, I'm going to finish in a moment with a short video which I played at Soul Space. Uh, the source place I did with St. Athelbergers last week. It's called Worlds Apart. It's actually uh, a commercial. It's an advert, TV advert for Heineken. You may have seen it back in the day. Um, It's absolutely wonderful. Uh, It's a a, a, a Heineken beer, but it's, it's actually a genuine experiment, social experiment that's going on. And the important thing to just take note of is that when you hear people saying things, describing things about themselves at the beginning of the video, all the other people involved do not hear those things so it is you know as i understand it's a genuine experiment with a wonderful outcome and i think it'll make you smile it may even bring a tear to your eye so uh, enjoy that and um, i'll see you next week have a great week um we're gonna have an awful lot more uh about the queen's funeral and uh, all that stuff this week and um i encourage you to you know take the sort of moderate doses of all that the media brings to us. And, um, you know, live your life, be kind to yourself, be kind to people around about you, stay human, and uh, I'll see you very soon. Bye-bye.
1: I would describe my political views as the new right. I'd say that I'm left. Feminism today is man-hating.
2: I would describe myself as a feminist 100%.
1: I don't believe that climate change exists. We're not taking enough action on climate change. I think it's about time these people got off their high horse and started looking for credible problems that actually exist. It's
3: absolutely critical that trans people have their own voice. That's not right, you can't, you know, you're, you're a man, be a man, or you're a female, be a female.
1: Women do need to remember that we need you to have our children.
2: Could I be friends with someone that said the woman's place is in the home? Um...
1: Right, okay, well, I'm an expert at flat packs. If you have any trouble, just watch me.
2: So it looks like I've got your instructions here. I think so. Let me help you. Let's not just that bit there. <laughs> Describe what it is like to be you in five adjectives.
3: OK. Frustrating.
2: Dedicated.
3: Opinionated. Lucky. Ambitious. Offensive. Solemn. I have ups and downs.
2: Strong. I don't want to say attacked. Misunderstood. Name three things you and I have in common.
3: We're both male, we're both confident, and we're both loudly spoken.
1: We
2: know each other better than people who've known each other
1: for ten minutes should. You seem quite ambitious and positive, and you've got this really... Um, ..got a glow, do you <laughs> know what I'm saying? Your aura's pretty cool. <laughs> I'm sensing, are you from
3: uh, former military or something? People have said that, but there is no, really? there is no history. So, are you, then, Ex, ex-military? Um, yeah.
1: If you're ex-military, I'm very
3: proud of you already. Well...
1: So... I grew up... Uh, in a bit of a rough state. I've experienced homelessness. I've known what it's like to have absolutely nothing. Yeah. So yeah, I'm definitely most grateful, just just for life. We've only just met, but I think you're the sort of person that would listen to me and we'd have a
3: discussion rather than argue. Yeah, right. you could hang out with man. Let's go. My chance. Goodness sake. You're right, mate.
1: Fitter than a look. Perfect Oh
2: yeah. There you go. Basically, I think we just bought a bar. Yeah. OK. Here you
3: are. <laughs> Each take a bottle and place it on its
1: corresponding markings on the bar. Attention. Please now stand to watch a short film. Feminism today is definitely an excuse for misandry, man-hating. If somebody said to me that climate change
3: is destroying the world, then I'd say that is total piffle.
1: So to transgender,
3: it is very odd. We're not set up to understand or see things like that.
1: I am
2: a daughter, a wife. I am transgender. I feel like the battle for feminism definitely isn't done. The fight is never going to be over, if I'm honest with you.
0: You now have a choice. You may go, or you can stay and discuss your differences over a beer.
3: I'm only joking.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're
3: happy for a second then? Well, I'm having a drink. I'm having a drink. Yeah. I want to discuss. Beer.
2: Yeah, beer and discuss. Cheers. At the end of the day, mate. By reaching, reaching out to
3: people, yeah. And, you know, even if you wanted to convince people about your point, the productive thing to do would be to sit so down. Engage. and engage, Just so engage. I've been brought up in a way where everything's black and white. But life isn't black and white.
1: Yeah, I'm just me. Yeah. <laughs> Smash the patriarchy. <laughs>
3: I'll give you my mobile number. You give me yours. Uh-huh. And we'll keep in touch. I'd have to tell my girlfriend that i will be texting another girl. <laughs> she might be a bit upset
0: with that, but I'll have to get round that. I'll you have you? to tell my girl She'll have to